welcome to this episode of Stand Out, the podcast to better your business brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Listen in and you'll walk away with insights from exemplary members who share their business acumen and the newest ideas from authors and thought leaders relevant to the organizing and productivity industry. And now, here's your host, longtime NAPO member, Claire Kumar. And welcome back to this episode of NAPO's Podcast Standout. I'm your host, Productivity Catalyst, Claire Kumar, and always thrilled that you're joining me. Now, this episode, we're going to dive into a topic that I know is on everybody's minds. And it's something we've been using before the pandemic, but in the past two years, it's become our main point of connection. We're going to be talking about the virtual meeting. We'll call it the Zoom doom, the Zoom gloom, the Zoom fatigue, all of that. It's something that has been our lifeline to everyone else, but it has also been incredibly exhausting. And so I wanted to explore with an expert who I'm going to introduce shortly. I wanted to explore with an expert, how should we be showing up? How should we be using this medium to take advantage of all of its benefits. And when I say Zoom, I'm of course meeting all of the different video platforms that are out there. But I really wanna tap into what do you need to pay attention to in terms of managing your energy and attention so you can bring it to the meetings that you have, figuring out how to build the connection which people are thinking is just not as good as real life but it's pretty good and it's here to stay. So let's explore that. And who I've brought to help us is an incredible expert. This is communication expert, Lauren Sergi. She's helped thousands of people become more effective leaders through skilled interpersonal communication and public speaking. She has worked with clients and audiences in Canada, the US, the UK, and Europe, including such companies as 3M, KPMG, Grant Thornton, Cargill, T-Mobile, and many, many more. She teaches programs on business communication at the University of Alberta, where she resides. She's coming to us from Edmonton at the moment. Her book, The Handy Communication Answer Book, was featured on Library Journal's Best Reference Books of 2017. Her latest book, which I have a copy of here, if you're watching the YouTube video, you'll see it right here. It's called Unmute how to master virtual meetings and reclaim your sanity. And it's now available anyway, you can find your online books. So I want to welcome you, Lauren. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So I've experienced my own and I might experience it today because my day includes two podcast interviews, two coaching calls, which is a lot of one-on-one interview and direct to camera my eyes on the aperture for probably five hours today and so i really wanted to start our conversation by looking at zoom fatigue this feeling that we have that this is a wonderful medium but at some point you just go enough so can we explore what that is why it's happening and what we might do about it Absolutely. Let's start with the whole, what is Zoom fatigue? And that was a big buzzword in, I would say, April 2020, I believe, was when it started popping up in all sorts of articles, business articles all over the place, because people were noticing, oh, wow, I've been doing nothing but virtual for the last month since the pandemic lockdown started, and I'm so tired. And then the issue kind of disappeared, as I think everyone just said, 
well, I guess I just shouldn't be tired. But you can't not be tired. (laughs) That's the thing is that Zoom fatigue is effectively the manifestation of all of the differences that happen in this mode of communication. This is not the same as speaking to someone in person. And I cannot state that clearly enough. This is not the same as in person. And because of that, basically, our brains are working overtime in order to navigate around all of the different little communication weirdnesses that are going on when we are on camera. And that is tiring. That is tiring for people like us who are accustomed to being on camera for hours a day. It is certainly more tiring for people who might not be used to it or who simply don't really like it all that much. It's going to weigh on you even more. And because, of course, Zoom also made us more accessible. Oh, it's so easy. It's so easy, Claire. You're at home. You're not going anywhere. So answer your phone. Meeting time. And we pile even more into our calendars. And that creates additional fatigue. So it's a combination of the technology, the medium being more tiring, but also us using it in a way that is just piling more and more and more onto our plates. Let's dig into a little bit that nuance about what is different. So put the volume aside of the calls that we're in. What's actually happening? So for me right now, I want to look at your face and you can see it. So this is a great one to watch on video on YouTube, all my listeners out there, because we're going to talk about some real practical things. You can see also, let me just say Lauren's background is divine. So you're going to get some what to do here. And hopefully my background is on point. Lauren can give me a critique later on. But I think what I want to say is I'm looking at the camera and that's in service of the viewer who's going to be watching on YouTube. So y'all, if you're watching on YouTube, drop a comment, say hello, let me know you saw it here. I'm spending my energy looking at the camera. And if I shift my eyes here, then I'm looking at Lauren's face. And I would much prefer to look at Lauren's face with wonderful makeup and a gentle smile and all of this. It's much more pleasing than looking at this little round circle with HD 1080p and Logi beside it. I would much rather look at Lauren. And so is that part of the challenge is that we're not getting this eye to eye contact that we so crave? That's a huge part of it, a huge part of it. So the eye to eye contact is really important because that is, at least in many North American and European cultures, eye to eye contact is the main way that you show that you're paying constructive attention to someone. So when we are engaging with one another, We are looking directly at one another. Now, that isn't to say that we stare at each other like this all the time. That gets a little bit disconcerting. But for the most part, we do tend to make a lot of eye contact to show that we're paying attention. It is completely impossible to do that in a virtual environment unless the camera is embedded behind the screen of your monitor. You simply can't do it. Have you seen, there's a couple of things now, there's in-camera, I think, and there's also PlexiCam that gives a shelf and puts the camera, so I could put it in front of your face, which kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. You're still not looking in your brain. You are still not looking at me. It's being covered up by the camera. To the viewer, it looks like you are, and that's what matters. That's where we really need to put our focus is on the viewer's experience. Everything that we do is for their benefit, but it does mean that these little communication signals are broken up. So eye contact is a really big one. 
And you're fighting with your brain at every point to say, no, don't look at Claire. No, don't look at Claire. No, don't look at myself. That's (laughs) right. Your brain is saying, look at the faces. We are oriented towards faces. That is primitive caveman brain wiring. One of the tips, I think it's in your book, and I know my friend Mark Bowden talks about it too, put a sticky note with a smile with your camera to give yourself some eyeballs to look at. (laughs) It does. It helps to give yourself something to look at. And for anyone who's listening or watching, who's using a laptop camera that's embedded in the bezel, the black frame that's around your laptop, get some neon sticky flags or something or draw a circle or put a bullseye around that camera because you need to make it easy for your eyeballs to find it. Otherwise, you're going to be hunting all over the place. Oh, there it is before you lock onto the camera. So you need to make that easy. But this kind of eye contact goes from being instinctual to being intentional. So that uses up a little bit of your processing. And therein, the fatigue begins. Now your brain's working that little bit harder to make this happen. I know it's cultural, first of all, but did you find any research that shows the amount of time that we actually like to be? Because we look at each other and we think of something and our eyes go here and there, but we come back. Do we have a sense of how often that eye contact is or in a conversation, what percentage it is? Do we have anything like that? I don't have any specific figures on that per se, but it is important to know that we don't make eye contact all the time. Even in cultures that are eye contact heavy, if I had to take a rough stab, I would say that it's probably about 70-30 of eye contact, non-eye contact. And that will vary when we're in person, if we're both working on the same thing. You're looking at the same drawing for how to organize your space. You're not making eye contact, you are looking at the drawing. So if you are doing the same thing in virtual You both know that you're looking at the same drawing. It's fine if you're not making eye contact with the camera. What you're trying to do is replicate the in-person experience for the person on the other side of the camera. That's correct. Which means that you are probably going to end up being a little more uncomfortable yourself because it has to be deliberate. I hear you. Here's the other challenge and nuance is that for the introverted temperament, there is also sometimes a desire to have less eye contact. So it varies culturally, but it also varies with temperament or trait. Absolutely. So with many introverts, they'll have things that they can look at or that they can work with and so on. And when you're in person, that's fine because we know what you're looking at. We know what you're doing. We have context. We have context. Exactly. The context is gone when you're in virtual. All it says is I'm not paying attention to you now. I've dismissed you and you don't even know what I'm doing. I'm looking at my email. I'm focusing on something else. And you're no longer important. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So if you have multiple monitors set up in front of you, this is something that I often have to deal with, with people who lots of documents up, all of that. They'll orient themselves away from the camera. And that's the bigger problem. It isn't even just that the eyes aren't on you. It's that the physical the shoulder turn change. As soon as you do that, if people don't have context, again, that little caveman in the back of our brain who doesn't know any better goes, what's she doing? What's she looking so at? So it's interesting then to talk about it as you do it, to give the context verbally with it, to say, I'm just looking over here at the spreadsheet. Right now, just so people know what I'm doing, I have the bio that I was reading a little bit from Lauren 
right up beside this and I had it right in front of the camera and then now it's off to the side. So, and then I put Lauren's face as close to the camera. So there's me looking at the camera. There's me looking at Lauren. It's this little shift. And it's fine to look. You're going to need to look. Exactly. We want to see each other's faces from time to time, but you have to constantly remember to come back up to the camera, back up to the camera. Especially if you're presenting. I do TV segments from here and I can't look anywhere but the camera. That's 100% has to be there. And if I look away, I can look away to think I'm looking away, but I can't look away to check something. That's not okay. I love this because this really helps us understand why it's so unnatural and how important it is to still kind of anchor there. But what should we do then? I want to talk about this importance of maintaining connection and bringing our energy to it. What can we do to kind of protect our energy so it's there for this virtual interaction? Well, in terms of protecting the energy, the number one thing to do is to understand your limits in terms of how much virtual you can handle. And that is going to vary from person to person. I know people who will happily spend all day on virtual. Interestingly enough, they tend to rarely look at the camera. That's something that I've noticed. The ones who said, I am a loner. I like to be in my home office. I'm so happy I don't have to go in anymore. Frequently, they're leaving the cameras off and very rarely do they ever look at the camera. That's something I've noticed, but you need to understand in yourself how much you can handle. And for some people, they'll be able to handle lots in one day, but then they need a break the next day. For others, they max out at one or two hours, but they can do that five days a week. So observe yourself to pay attention to your energy and experiment over the course of several weeks with what works best for you. And then if you are able to control your calendar such, and I know that many people are able to, as much as possible, create those protected spaces where you are absolutely off camera. Whether it's three days a week and two days is nothing but on camera, that's what I like doing so I don't have to do my makeup repeatedly because it takes time. I know it doesn't look it, but it takes time. (laughs) (laughs) Whether it's a few days a week that you like to be on camera for the whole day to get it out of the way, or you're good for a couple hours a day and then you need to back off, learn what those rhythms are in yourself so you can build it into your calendar and protect that time. It's interesting because you made me think of, I've run some leadership workshops and I've taken them from a two hour to a three hour online experience. And I build in breaks, not just for them, but also for me. And I say in that break, cameras off, go look out a window, go use your eyes differently. Like use the different muscles in your eyes to actually look far and move your body. Because one of the things you wrote in your book is that we tend to be very static. You wrote about the woman who dropped a pen under her desk and deftly took her sock off, used her toes to pick up her pen and bring it back up here. And nobody knew. And then I love this. You say, well, what would you have done in a regular room? Well, I would have bent down and picked up the pen. But it's that feeling like it's almost like, you know, when you're having a massage and the massage therapist needs to go get more oil. Usually the oil is so close to the table, they can keep a hand on me. So I know where they are. They don't go away and come back and startle me. It's like, it's holding context. So you don't want to disappear and reappear. Yeah. We get pinned (laughs) to the camera. We get absolutely pinned in our frame and then you don't move. 
whatever you do, don't move out of that. Karen was so proud of her performance of picking up that pen. <laughs> but she remembered nothing from the conversation. It was hilarious. That was great. Did you remember what happened? No, but I, nope. nobody knew I picked up a pen with my toes. It's like, <laughs> you're right. This is one of the other unnatural things that sort of comes out of this virtual experience. Okay. So maintaining your energy so that you can bring your presence to the experience and maintain that eye contact to the camera and to the individual and sort of maybe being intentional about what that looks like. So if, like I said, my TV segments, hundred percent to camera, but my coaching calls, I'm talking to someone and there are times when I need to see how they're feeling. It's important. I remember being really annoyed last year. I had a court meeting. And I was going up against a lawyer. I'm having his fees assessed because he's kind of a scoundrel. And the court directions were, please look at the camera. I'm like, hell to the no. I am looking at that dude's face because I want to see the expression. I want to get all the information I can, all the nonverbal cues that are, and lawyers are pretty good at not giving any, just so you know. So the you have wasn't to watch. Lot. And that's the thing is that this is not friendly relationship building time. <laughs> you want to be absolutely it's all in context contexts like that break eye contact and watch them because this is not friendly time now so i need to tell the law society that their instructions are way off base it's like if i'm making a point if i'm speaking i can look at the camera maybe but maybe i also want to notice i mean when i brought my product to market my organizing product the beauty was in watching the expressions of to whom I was demonstrating the product and I could nail the aha moment. If I wasn't watching their face while I was demonstrating, I wouldn't have a clue what the moment was. It's a lot harder to I was pull it watching off. them. Yeah. So being really intentional about what you need out of the experience and then coming back to that anchor base. I yeah. Think it's a dance that you learn. It's a dance. You look around, you look at the person, you come back up, you go back. It's a dance. And the only way to really figure out the dance is to practice it. That's something that very few people who don't speak professionally on camera, that very few people do, is practice how they speak on camera. But once again, this takes extra thought. So to get it into your bones, you have to actually give it a go. It's much the same thing with other cues like gesturing, learning how far away you need to sit from the camera so that people can see you, enough of you, that they can see your hands move. That creates more feeling of connectivity. It makes it feel more natural, more realistic. But if you don't play around with it, then you never know really. You can't say, oh, my hands, without looking at the camera, my hands are out of frame, my hands are in frame. Right. You wouldn't know where they're showing up. You don't know where they are. And it's interesting because depending on your level of excitement and passion for something, there's a natural place for your hands to be. And more normally, they're sort of chest level, navel level. They're not up here when you're making a point. If you want to be connecting, you can use the camera to say, hey, I'm going to whisper to you now. I'm going to be more intimate. And you can play with the camera and all of that stuff too. We can sort of get into the performance. You can have fun with it. But here's the thing. A lot of people I know are like, I don't like the sound of my voice. And worse, I don't want to watch myself. But that's where the learning is. So I guess the invitation is to look at that Zoom recording afterwards with the self-reflective lens to say, how did I show up? What might 
I want to do differently to give the impression or give the caring experience that I wanted to do with clients. Because for our listeners, there's a variety of different ways we use Zoom, personal development for sure, but also probably a lot of sales calls, actually service delivery now. There's virtual organizing. I do productivity coaching and it's all over Zoom. I feel really blessed that we've sort of cross the mental hurdle to realize a lot of great value can happen over this medium? Oh, God, yes. As much as we dunk on it, this is a wonderful, wonderful medium. I've been using it for years long before the pandemic, but it is distinct. And that I think is the big thing that people need to remember. This is a distinct form of communication. You can't just say, well, this is what I do in person. So this is what I do on camera. And have it work in the exact same way. A big point there, I often get people asking me, the conversations are so stilted. We're cutting over one another. We're talking over one another. We never know what to do. There's long pauses and long silences. Again, subtle variations in terms of the way that we communicate in person. How do we show that we want someone to talk or that it's their turn? We physically turn to that person. We make direct eye contact. We'll gesture. Stuff that doesn't work on, because if I'm gesturing to John, I'm also gesturing to Claire. If I'm orienting to Susie, I'm also orienting to everyone. It doesn't translate. So the intentionality again. The intentionality needs to be there. So then you bring it verbally. John, what do you think about this plan here? I remember you wanted to do X, Y, Z. Does this fulfill it or is there something else that's on your mind? And you give very clear, deliberate cues, inviting people to take the floor. It's almost like you become a facilitator for the conversation. It's a great point. So you really have the two hats on always. always. You're leading the content and you're leading the inclusivity. Although it's interesting because I was thinking about that recently. And in regular meeting management, you can often ask for someone else to be a timekeeper because managing the content and the flow of discussion, it can be helpful to have somebody else thinking about time. And I also think it could be helpful to have somebody else thinking about inclusivity because we don't hear the introverts pipe up naturally on their own sometimes. And anybody who's shyer, which is not necessarily introversion, but there's a commitment to say, we want to hear from all the voices and the facilitator or the content leader, the one who's driving the outcome may not have the bandwidth to curate all of that. So I kind of encourage figuring out what you need and then inviting people to adopt those roles. That really does help. If you're in a meeting with several people or you're giving a demo, you're doing a presentation, you're working with several people, it can really help to have one person designated to watch the chat because otherwise, oh heavens, trying to watch the chat and deal with the camera at the same time. I've done it. You've done it. People do it, but it's hard. It's really hard. So it's great to say, okay, this time around, Shanaz is going to watch the chat. And then Shanaz pipes up and actually reads out if there's a question in there. You have to have someone who's okay to interject. Yes. You have to have someone with that skill. Coordinating this ahead of time becomes important. You assign roles. Now, this is going to be true for larger meetings. If it's a smaller meeting, it's not necessary. But in those cases, set ground rules. Cameras are on. And if you want to say something, Pipe up and say it. Don't necessarily put it in chat because that's hard for me to see. But pipe up and say something. Feel free to do that. Creating hand signals is a great way. If there's few enough people in the meeting that everyone is on the same screen, tell them to physically Physically. raise their hands. 
Yeah, the little icon gets missed, especially if your background is yellow. <laughs> it's not going to show up. It's not going to so, show up. Yeah. Like the speaking association here had a conference and one of the talks was about engagement and someone had taken her hand and made a cutout that she waves of her hand. <laughs> you could just use your hand, but it's bright white. And so it really it visually stands out. And she had made all kinds of other things too, an unmute sign, a love sign, which really have a lot more dynamism than the reactions, I would say. So you can get your own kit of engaging feedback. Absolutely. And you can make this as big or as small as you want. For one-on-one meetings, that might be a little overwhelming. (laughs) But for one-on-one meetings, it's going to be a different dynamic because the flow will be a little more natural. There will probably be less camera eye contact. You know that you're in the room together doing the same thing. So there will probably be more watching of the actual faces. So things will be a bit different. But as the size grows... You can try different tools to make it work, but you really do need to keep that facilitation piece in mind. Something else to keep in mind is the size of your expression. Many people get locked down when they're on. I know you and I, right? (laughs) We are used to this. What I find the best analogy that I can think of for what it's like to be expressive on camera is very similar to what it's like to be expressive as a speaker on a large stage. Because you have to be able to get your expression to the people in the back of the room. And again, with the camera, with the differences in the technology and everything else, as well as for many people, the fact that they feel really self-conscious when they're on camera, they can see themselves move. It's all weird. It's just weird. What we do is dial the expressions down and become very flat. So I'll encounter people who normally are incredibly vivacious, just go stone cold. Oh, on camera. And it's that, I'm being watched. Dare <gasps> in the headlights. <laughs> Many introverts experience this as well. So I just describe it as you take the dial. There's no specific way of doing it. I wish there was. You take the dial and you dial it up a couple of notches. You don't need to go from a two to an eight. I would say you should maybe watch your tape six. first. I would yes. say you should watch your tape first. Watch your tape first. Watch your tape. Play. Exactly. And I invite you to actually, and also get some feedback on what kind of energy somebody else viewing might be receiving, because there are people I know that I would not want them to dial it up because I would check right out. If you're really skilled at knowing what to do, you can, like I said, play with that camera. You can be in close. You can be louder. You can really play with the dynamic. Sometimes being softer is going to bring intrigue and draw attention. So play with all that dynamism. It's having that emotional nimbleness. Emotional to be able to figure out what it is. And this is a performance element. Again, that's like tripping people up. It's not the same as in person. So you have to think, what do I need to do for the camera? What do I need to do for everyone who's watching? It's not for your benefit. It is for theirs. This is an act of service. It's an act of service. And sometimes that means that it's going to be a little uncomfortable or a little weird for you, not the way you would like to be talking to them, but it's all about creating that experience for the other person. Love it. You mentioned something, and I want to come back to this, and it really harkens to where we started, this fatigue. You said cameras on, and I want to go a little head-to-head on this one to understand. So give me your perspective on etiquette and what should happen in meetings. I'll just give a little backstory about Asana. Most of my productivity friends will know this. It's a project management online tool to really manage a team and get things done. And their executives were meeting 
and they had the hybrid meeting starting and we need to understand oh my gosh hybrid is a whole other conversation but they said that there was so much talking over each other that the people in the room just took over talking to each other and just ignored the people that were remote and they decided as an executive team it's going to be all or nothing it's going to be everybody on camera or everybody in the room we're not going to do this hybrid thing from my perspective 20, 25, 30 years ago, I worked with people who were present in a room and remote on conference calls before. And the same kind of thing could happen. And we never said, if we can't all get together, everyone's going on the phone. We never denied the social connection, which is the point of coming to the office anyway for a lot of people. So I have a hard resistance to this what I say is a lack of leadership and facilitation management to make sure we've got inclusivity and we've got a well-managed meeting. I just think, like, Asana, get your stuff together. Like, hello, do we need to have a talk? Do they need to bring in Lauren? Like, what's going on here? Asana, bring me in. Let's talk about this. It's like, hang on a second. Do not take away the reason people came to the office because one person is going to be remote on camera. You're now going to have everybody sitting at their cubicle I'm sorry, hell to the no. So back to the question of cameras on, cameras off. How would you summarize what a good intent is or what you think the optimum experience is? The important thing is that everyone shows up the same way. That's the crucial thing with any kind of video conference etiquette, that everyone shows up the same way. So if everyone needs a break from being on camera, set it as a cameras off meeting. Very frequently, I'll say, if you are working with people who they've seen you at your worst, you just need to get in there, get this thing done. You're working with your virtual assistant or you're working with another service provider. It's not a big show for a client or something like that. Let them know, you know what, let's do cameras off this time. I just need a break. Cameras on in all other situations. So if the purpose of the meeting is to lay eyeballs on each other, there is a relationship development component to it. You are meeting people for the first time. You are talking to people that you haven't spoken to for a while. Cameras on, but everybody cameras on. No excuses for leaving your camera off. And that sort of etiquette, it's a very visceral response that people get. And this is mostly applicable to teamwork or to meetings where there's several people in it, of course. When we see one person with their camera off, the reaction is not, oh, they need a break, unless we for sure know that they do. If you've got some poor parent with the newborn who is just sick as anything and they can't put them down, be human. Let them have their camera off. Okay, so I'm going to jump in right here because there is a lovely example where a camera's off. Makes sense. Everybody has the potential to have a reason for the camera to be off. So my approach is not black and white like that. I run these leadership workshops and there are people coming from different companies my guidance and i would love to know what you think about it my guidance has been if you are speaking i really invite you to have your camera on because it's going to help us understand you i know your day might have been back-to-back zooms and you might be exhausted you might be introverted you might be highly sensitive you might have a teenager who's refusing to be clothed walking around behind you We are in people's living spaces with all kinds of configurations. So out of respect for not knowing where they are and not placing a burden of explaining it, I like to be explicit about the ask 
And I'd like to invite several times to, when you're speaking, please put your camera on. And it seems to be working very, very well that people who need to have them off feel okay. And that people who are speaking, they know the camera's on immediately. What do you think? Again, it's very contextual. The difficulty that I have with that is that, like you said, there's always an excuse. So what is a good excuse and what is not? And there's going to be extraordinary situations. And part of this could be that we might be approaching this from different angles. I am specifically referring to people who are in company, working with people, with other team members in their company. And I get more hardlined on this because I've seen real problems in terms of infighting with the teams, accelerating and starting up due to bad camera etiquette. At some point, you have to say there is a minimum that we expect of people. We expect a minimum when you show up at the office. We expect a minimum when you are in person in your home. Yes, we're in your space, but it is possible to find a space. And again, if there's extraordinary circumstances, be human and take that into consideration. I am tired is not an excuse to me because what you are now signaling, if your camera is off and here's where it's like, oh, you got to be so careful with this. Everyone else whose camera is on, the reaction becomes, I am putting in this effort. I'm tired too, but I did this and I'm sitting here and I'm putting in the effort. Why isn't that guy? He never turns on his camera. What is up with this? Why do I have to put in the effort? And they don't. So I've actually seen team dynamics change significantly and infighting starting up because the signals that's being sent through inconsistent etiquette is that I don't need to show up the same way that you do, which is deeply disrespectful. So it's feeling unfair. It's feeling unfair. We're a sense of unfairness and then we get so interesting. If I'm giving a presentation to an external client, they can do whatever they want. It's their comfort, not mine. So I don't take that expectation the same way. But for people who work together, it's quite different. So interesting, because I think, I mean, my leadership's workshops talk about expanding the concept of inclusivity for neurodiversity. And in with neurodiversity, we have people who are absolutely not comfortable in that space. I had one gentleman, it was back in April 2020, and there were about 25 people on the call. And this fellow, let's call him Jacques, his camera was on and I know he was paying attention because when I said, hey, Jacques, I have a question for you. He would shake the Homer Simpson puppet that was sitting in camera. (laughs) And I thought, that is amazing. He didn't want to be on camera, but he was fully present, paying attention and communicating. And I was delivering essentially a monologue with a little bit of interaction. I thought it was brilliant here's the opportunity I think there is. And I wonder if you see this at all in this team. So for the listeners out there that are have teams and are having team meetings, for example, this is highly relevant. Is there a conversation that talks about how we're going to run meetings and what we're going to expect from each other and has some curious conversation collaboration around what does that look like? So, oh, you know what? We understand that some people are feeling very uncomfortable and that's an ongoing state. It's not going to become necessarily more comfortable. So what does participation look like? And I have this ask model for leadership 
anticipate a barrier, suggest a solution, commit to knowing each other better. Don't say for the person that's a deer in the headlights, I have to disclose it's all of a sudden you're in a stressful position. So what can you do, I think, before the meeting and with your team? If this is you're feeling like there's some attention to be paid here, what could a discussion? Having those conversations is really important. That's the thing is like, it's ultimately, it comes down to, are you agreeing to consistently communicate in a certain way? And if you're dealing with neurodiversity issues and everything else, that is something that can come up in conversation and can be accommodated. The accommodation is, again, knowing that this is a different circumstance, a different situation. For those who are neurotypical, show up. Like (laughs) I say that very strongly and it's recognizing the fact that we are not in the same context as we're in, in the office. Well, and I think it's to your point of managing capacity. So you can show up. So some companies, what some people that I've worked with have done is they'll set up a no cameras Friday. Everyone on Friday cameras off. You can stay in your PJs all day. Doesn't matter. We're not going to turn those. We'll have just as many meetings, but they're voice only. Everyone shows up in the same way or with your teams. We know that this person is really uncomfortable. This is a struggle. Show up the same way. Look at other ways that they can be more comfortable in it. But the understanding still has to be is that we are fighting extremely primitive areas of our brain that are wired for certain reactions and certain forms of communication. And if the people who are capable of showing up in the way that is considered quote unquote standard, they best do it because they will be sending a certain signal to those who don't. And what I encountered more often than not in teams that were having problems with this was not neurodiversity. It was people who liked being in their basement with their hoodie and their ball cap on. And so it was more representative of not wanting to make the effort to show up. It was the effort. So that's the put on pants other than pajamas. Like just... Like put in the effort to show up for people because just because you're at home, you still need to consider the communication context. And this is one of the things that makes it very, very tiring and very aggravating and why two years in, we're still experiencing a lot of difficulty with this medium is because it's, well, everyone knows I'm at home. Yes, but their brain is fighting between seeing you at home in a casual context, in an intimate context, and working with you in a professional capacity. We can't turn off the flood of information. Our brain sees it all and interprets it all. So you want to create a smooth experience for that. And like I said, for many people, I've worked with some who have had to lay down the law with many of their people. They're like, no, it's not that you have a nursing kid at home. It's not that we're dealing with anything else. It's that you rolled out of bed and I know you did because I can see the bed in the background. Like, come on. You can tell the sheets are still warm. Is that? <laughs> oh, yes. One of them specifically said, like, my colleague likes to be with his headboard behind and we know he's sitting in bed. Can you maybe insinuate that people shouldn't do that? Well, there's that whole ergonomic reason as well. But it's interesting. Yeah, there really is. Because 
here's the just the ergonomic piece. We need to make sure we're changing our posture in our day. So in my workshops and in between meetings, I'm sitting now, often I will change between sitting and standing. In the three-hour workshop, I go between the two. Not everybody has the luxury, so they may want to choose somewhere else. So if you're choosing somewhere else to have a reclining posture, which is a wonderful thing to do, you take some pressure off. I had a car accident in 2010. I could not sit upright. The best thing for me was to be lying back with pillows supported and having an iPad. So there are many, call them excuses or call them valid reasons. But I think the idea is be as generous as you can to show up for your listener, build as much connection, protect your brand in the process, protect your brand, and then relax and enjoy this wonderful technology that we have to still get all those great things done. Without this, I can't imagine how depressed as a society would be right now and how broke I would be too, how absolutely broke I would be. It would be absolutely brutal. My general approach is follow the etiquette that you would have followed if you were in person. That's my general approach. With the understanding that you can have a little more flexibility in this medium, depending on the situation. Can we talk about our pants right now then? Sure. Can we just talk about our pants? Let's talk about our pants. Polished on the top, no pajamas, boxers, that kind of... Like it's something that doesn't show like you've put enough effort in. I do a lot and I'm going to stop that on full disclosure. These are casual joggers. And so I figure if I have to stand up for any reason, I'm not going to be embarrassed. If the camera angle shifts, you're not going to show some thigh. You're good. That's the baseline. That's the baseline. If you need to suddenly stand up, will you be embarrassed? That's correct. I live in my Buffalo check jammies. I live in them. I do not live on them on camera. (laughs) It is something equally comfy. But if I stand up, that's not the impression that I want to be given people. And it's just remarkable how frequently we're getting the whole, oh, wow, that person was in boxers. Folgers did an entire year-long run on this in their commercials. And it's still happening. It's still valid. It's still happening. Well, there you get part of that contextual thing. No one would have done this in person because they know, but now you have to make a decision and your oh brain my is gosh. saying, I could, I could get away with it and I'm tired and I don't want to. There has to be a skit happening about the return to work and everybody's going in their pajamas back to the office. And it's like, no, we don't want that. We I think it's a dressing down in some offices. You'll see a dressing down happen. But in others, it's going to be straight back into the Come back. Yeah. Well, you have made a heck of an impression here today. And I want to thank you for joining me. I want to just show your book again. Again, it's Lauren Sergey, Unmute, How to Master Virtual Meetings and Reclaim Your Sanity. You've heard such wonderful advice and thoughts here that I hope you can adopt into your online presence going forward in your meetings with clients, in your team meetings, in your meetings with family, everybody. Like just these are some wonderful practice to think of the experience of your listener, of your viewer. So Lauren, thank you so much. For our listeners out there, please check out all of our episodes at napopodcast.com. And please, I love to hear from you on all our social media channels. We're on LinkedIn, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. And of course, anywhere you listen to a podcast, you can drop a review. It's a really kind of lonely experience, except that, I mean, I love the time that I have with my guests and then it kind of is quiet. So show some love, share what stood out. Maybe I want to hear about your biggest Zoom faux pas so far 
or something that you've done to make your experience really incredible. And as always, we are going to have a further conversation over on Zoom. So if you want to get the latest and the hottest tips from Lauren, there's one more question I'll be asking her over on YouTube. So check out our YouTube channel as well. You can find out all the links at napopodcast.com. So again, Lauren, Sergey, thank you so much for joining me. Sounds great. Thank you, Claire. That's all for today's episode of Stand Out, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.